Thank you, Sharon. Okay, but just before we start, everybody kind of grab their blue hymnals because we're going to need them right away. Turn to page 28 so you're ready to go when we get that far. Now, I've got a bunch of announcements here. Real quickly, I'd like to send out congratulations to Kara Kittenry and Chad Sherrill. They were united in Christian marriage here yesterday. Kara is the daughter of John and Deb Kittenry. Chad is the son of Mike and Sandy Sherrill. Uh, Kara has also got grandparents in here, Bob and Pat Snyder. They're her, her par- grandparents. So just uh, if you see them, congratulate them. Another important announcement, the consistory wants to have a meeting next week after the service to discuss quickly and briefly the cost of the asbestos removal from the church basement and discuss any question or answers that you might have about the furnace project. Also, dates to remember next Sunday, fall kickoff block party. Hopefully we'll have good weather, but part of the parking lot, I think, will be uh, cordoned off so they can have that. Youth groups start on the 12th, so that would be Wednesday. Then on the 16th, two weeks from today, will be the first day of Sunday school, Bible study, and confirmation. Okay, at this time, I'd like to bring up Mrs. Schreer. She has something to say, and then Pastor Joel. A couple of weeks ago, I got up here and I told you guys all about Financial Peace University, which is starting on the 16th. Um, So excited. We have eight couples signed up already, so we've had a great response. But now I need to beg for your help. Um, It has been really on my heart that we need to provide babysitting for some of the couples that are coming. I have a couple signed up that do have young children. Um, The benefit of this program is that the husband and the wife go through it together. Um, So... Um, I threw it out there on our internal Facebook group that I was looking for people who are willing to help. Um, Maria, thank you so much for signing up already. Um, So I have, you know, even if you can only do one Sunday, please come see me after church. It's just for an hour and a half. Um, It would be here at the church. So if you're willing and able, please come see me. Thank you. Thanks, Connie. A couple things I want to just highlight. Uh, First of all, that fall kickoff block party that's happening on the 9th next week. I just want to highlight that um, we really hope that you guys are able to come and be a part of that. Um, That is from 1130 to 1.30. We're doing it here at the church. Uh, We're not doing it right after church uh, for a couple reasons. We need y'all to move your car so we can continue to set up and and as long as the weather is good to have all of those activities outside. Um, We also are asking if you are coming to be a part of it to please bring a dish to pass. We're providing kind of like the the hamburgers, hot dogs, that sort of thing. But if you're able to come and and share something with uh, the group that will be gathered here, that will be great. So um, we invite you to all be a part of that. And it's kind of Sunday school kickoff, but really our intention is for it to be an all-church gathering a picnic. So even if you don't have kids in Sunday school, even if you don't um, participate in one of the adult Bible studies that takes place, it's still a great opportunity to fellowship and gather as a church. So we hope that you all are able to be a part of that next week. Um, also, uh, Jay just called me. His Sunday school class would like to start next week. Um, so if you're a part of his Sunday school class that meets in the Heritage Room over here, uh, we obviously have our, our congregational meeting, but immediately following that, they would like to get started with their curriculum um, next week. So they're going to do that. So please note if you're a part of his class to plan on sticking around and being a part of that. 
Um, the other thing I want to mention, and I'll give more instruction about this later, if you're, if you're one of those people that like to look at the bulletin and see what's coming up in the service, uh, we're going to do communion a little differently today. We're going to do it walking up to the altar like we do at, say, Ash Wednesday or some of those other special services. We just thought it would be a nice way to, to change things up uh, here at our normal Sunday morning service. I'll have more instructions to follow, but I do want to make a note. If you are unable to come forward or or, um, or if that would be a difficult thing for you to do, um, we are going to have a, a couple elders, Michelle and Aaron, are going to have communion elements, and they will be delivering them to the pews if that is um, uh, appropriate for you if you're unable to come forward. So just make sure you kind of flag them down as they're walking around with those trays. So I'll give more instructions about that when the time is appropriate, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. Thanks. Okay. If you would please now now stand with your hymnal. We'll turn to page 28. Following the reading, we will only sing the first verse of 29, and then we'll sing also 30. That is only one verse, but there's a repeat in there, and I have been cautioned by the pianist, pay attention. <laughs> she, there's repeats. They told me to pay attention, so I'm, I'm just passing it along. So Sharon will lead us. And we'll get through this just fine. Okay, if you will please read with me the Psalm 8 from uh, page 28. O Lord, our Lord, how vast is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the flocks and herds, and the beasts of the field. Birds of the air and the fish of the sea, and all that swim in the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, turn the page and we'll sing first verse.
right. So, today we're going to talk about a really kind of big word, and that word is called temptation. Have you ever heard that word before, temptation? What does temptation mean? In the Lord's Prayer, we say, and lead us not into temptation. What is something that might tempt you? How about if you come home from school and you walk in the door and you smell chocolate chip cookies? Is that a temptation? But they're there. And mom says, no, you can't have any until after supper. They're dessert. Or they're to take to someone who is sick. You can't have any at all. But it's a temptation because they're sitting there and they smell so good. Is it hard to not snitch one? That's a temptation. Yeah. So today I brought a potato. A potato. Yes. Okay. I want us to think about this potato. God made this potato, and it's healthy food to eat. You can bake it, and then you can eat it. Just put a little bit of butter on it, though. That makes it taste better, but too much butter, that's a temptation, okay? You can eat the peeling and everything because the peeling's got vitamins in it, okay? You can, or you could take this potato... And you could slice it up into really thin slices. Then you could deep fry it and you could add salt to it. What do we have then? Potato chips. Are these a temptation? Yes, these are a temptation. Look, I bought these for children's chat. Did not put a note on them not to eat them. They were a temptation to somebody at my house. So, we're going with it like this. It was a temptation for somebody. Okay? So, eating lots of potato chips, what will happen to you if you eat lots of potato chips? Your belly will start hurting. You are right. You are right. They might also make you get a little chubby. Yeah. They will also clog your arteries when you get old like me. Then you got to worry about your arteries getting clogged up. So potato chips, even though they start out as a good, healthy potato, yeah, after a while, they're that temptation that's not so good for us. So in the Bible, it tells us that Eve was tempted by the snake. What was Eve not supposed to do? Eat from the fruit tree. That's right. And who came along and said, oh, Eve, just go ahead. It's not going to hurt anything. Who came along? The snake did. The snake did. Yes. And did, did Eve give in to that temptation? Yes, she did. And what was the consequence to that temptation? Did she and Adam get the boot out of the garden? Yep. They weren't allowed to live in the garden anymore. So see, temptations. Now, how do we deal with the temptation? Because there are other kinds of temptations besides just potato chips and cookies. There's the temptation to say something not very nice. 
There's the temptation to hit somebody when you're not happy. So we have to ask God and say, God, I need your help. So-and-so is driving me crazy. Please help me keep my mouth shut. Help me keep my hands to myself. And you know what? Because God is always listening. He's going to help us fight that temptation. Okay, in first Corinthians, it says there hath no temptation taken you, but such as it, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that that ye may be able to bear it. So God is going to help us. We just need to ask for his help. Okay, so let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we encounter temptations all the time. Please help us to exercise self-control so that we can ask for your help and do the right thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Have a great week. Lost in our service in the last week, specialist Lyric Young, 22, from Bullhead City, New Mexico. Also, thank you, Sharon, for the Navy Hymn Prelude. Before we pray together, I just want to thank all the the group that was here this morning to be a part of our prayer service. Uh, We kind of officially, I guess you could say, wrapped up our the prayer covenant that we'd been praying through the summer as a church. And this morning before the service, we had a group uh, gather over here in the Heritage Room and, and kind of pray through those themes and read scripture together and, and take time to pray for not only ourselves, but our community, our church, our nation, our world, and, and along those different themes. And so um, just what a blessing to be a part of that. One of the things I I reminded them there is, is, well, two things that I reminded them. One, prayer is personal, but it doesn't need to be private. It's good to gather with others and pray together, um, which is a really wonderful thing. And that's why we, we pray together uh, during the service as a normal part of what we do. Uh, but the other thing is it's also good to pray for yourself. Uh, it's not, I should say, it's not selfish to pray for yourself, but it's selfish to pray only for yourself. So as we pray and as we remember the, the concerns list and the names that are represented there, um, I do encourage you to remember their names in prayer. Uh, lift up other concerns or other things that, that you are aware of because it's good to not only pray for the things that affect you, but also pray for the things that affect others, the people you care about, our community, our nation, and our world. And so um, that's what we hope to do together during this prayer time, but I also encourage you to do that on your own as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that you give us the opportunity to come to you um, just as we are in prayer. Uh, You have uh, made a way, you have made it possible uh, to do this through the, the giving of your spirit and through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we stand here today knowing that you hear us as we pray. You, you, you are aware of, of the needs and the desires of our heart. And, uh, and we can come to you and honestly lay, down, lay out our concerns and our praises before you, knowing, Lord, that you are able to work and that you care to do so. Uh, so I pray that you would give us a mind for what your will is in our lives. Help us to focus on that and help us to, Lord, um, be okay with what your will is. 
And also, Lord, um, be willing to praise you and thank you when you do answer our prayers. Uh, Lord, at this time, I do want to lift up all of our schools and our communities, our teachers, our students who are now getting back into the full swing of things with the new school year. We pray that for a good transition, we pray for safety for all of the the students and as they travel back and forth from school and and safety while they're at school, Lord. Um, and we pray, Lord, that our schools and our communities would be an opportunity for, for children to gather and to learn and a safe place for them to do so, uh, free of bullying and other things, Lord. Uh, we pray that, that, um, that our schools would be opportunities for our communities to rally together and, and a sense of pride there as well. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our teachers, and we pray that you would um, bless them and give them the energy and the focus they need at the start of the school year as things get back into full swing as well. Uh, Lord, we do lift up our concerns that are represented in our in our list, the names that are there. We pray for your guidance and your direction and your provision there, Lord, exactly what is needed according to your will and not our own. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward. We're very excited to have Dylan Koenig playing the music for us today. Hallelujah, 
seated. Our scripture reading today is the final two verses of the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. If you have a Bible with you today, I'd encourage you to follow along, or you can use one of the pew Bibles that are uh, right in front of you. Once again, that's Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to, to study your word together, to hear it read, and now to take a few moments and, and reflect on what it, ha- what it means for us. I pray that your spirit would guide us this morning, and I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. So if you've been following along with us, uh, uh, we started talking about the Apostle Paul, uh, if you can believe it, the week after Easter. Um, and we've been talking and journeying through his life together ever since. I do have to give you all credit for sticking it out. Uh, this is the longest like sermon series I've ever done. Uh, and and uh, I feel like it's been a long time we've been talking about the life of Paul together here. Um, but I pray also that it's been a blessing to you. I know it has been for me to talk about what it means to be committed to Christ and to to really live out our faith in a in a real and practical way. And so what I want to close our time about uh, our, our series on here today is talking about staying true to our calling, because that's what Paul did. Paul did throughout his entire ministry, throughout his life. He stayed true to the calling that God had placed on his life. And I want us to stay true to the calling God has given us as well. Uh, it, it may not be very obvious sometimes. I know I mentioned last week that, that with Paul's tri- arrest and his trials, things kind of seem to slow down. Um, uh, but in reality, as we get to the close of the book of Acts, when Paul finally finds himself in Rome under arrest here, um, it's actually been six years that have passed since Paul's original arrest in Jerusalem. So, so this has been a significant portion of his life as from the time he was arrested in Jerusalem and all the different trials and all the progress he made to the, to the city of Rome. Um, and actually during that time he was even shipwrecked for a period of months, um, along with other prisoners. Uh, they survived obviously. And then several months later they were able to continue their journey. And Paul eventually finds himself in Rome. And, and as you can see here, kind of under house arrest, if you want to think about it that way. He was able to continue to have visitors. Um, he was kind of living at his own expense. Wealthy, um, wealthy criminals, I guess you can say, were able to, to pay to live in a, maybe a rented house or can even continue their trade if they were able to do so within the confines of that place. And in addition to that, they're also able to receive visitors. And we see just in the verses previous to this, there's a group of Jewish leaders from, the, from Rome that came to visit Paul, and he was able to share the gospel with them as well. It's also very likely during this time that Paul wrote the letters to the Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and even the letter to Philemon uh, while imprisoned here in Rome. Uh, but I don't want to necessarily focus today on those circumstances. Paul continued to be faithful to his calling. Um, and so I want to take a, take a look at what that looks like. Not necessarily uh, that conversation he had with the Jewish leaders, because a lot of those themes have been covered during our time together already. What I want to take a look at is, is, is two things. First, why does, why does Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, 
kind of end uh, Paul's journey like this. And what does that mean for us? First of all, I think that we see that Paul, the reason, one of the reasons that Luke ends the story so abruptly is because it teaches us that our work is never truly done. You'd expect someone like Paul, uh, his, his life that has been so detailed throughout the book of Acts, to know exactly what happened to him. You'd expect it to be spelled out there for us in Scripture that Paul was arrested, that maybe you hear about the outcome of the trial, maybe he was acquitted, maybe he was executed. You know, we, we have some ideas of what happened through church history and tradition, but in Scripture, it leaves us kind of on a cliffhanger. He's under arrest. He's given some freedoms, and he's able to continue speaking about the kingdom of God and teaching about Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And it's just over. Luke leaves it just like that. You see, his arrest, even his imprisonment, did not, and the threat of death did not stop Paul from sharing the gospel. Reflecting on his experience in, in prison in Philippians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, As a result, his imprisonment and his arrest, it has, been, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul didn't see his arrest and the subsequent six years in jail as an end to his ministry. Instead, it was yet another opportunity for him to grow. It was an opportunity for him to proclaim the gospel and be a witness to even the palace guard, even the people that were assigned to watch over him, he was able to preach the gospel to them and share the good news of Christ. His circumstances certainly changed, but yet his mission, his calling did not. So my question for you today is, what changes have you gone through recently? Maybe you have a new job. Maybe you're trying to figure out this whole retirement thing. Maybe you have young kids at home, or maybe for the first time you have an empty nest. Maybe you, are, you or a loved one are facing unexpected health problems. Whatever new season you're in, I want to tell you today, God is not done with you yet. God's not done with you. He can still use you for His glory. He's, he still wants to work in and through you to, to proclaim His kingdom and teach others about Jesus Christ. All of those circumstances, our responsibilities and our commitments may change over time. Trust me, my life looks very different now than it did five years ago. Two kids and a new job will change your life completely, right? And so what, how God is working in and through me is very different now than it was back then, but he's still working. And the same is true for each one of you here. He still desires that I seek after Him, that we seek after Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He can still use us, like Paul does here, to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach the Lord, teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe some of our, I'll put it, seasoned saints that are here today and listening on the radio, we all need to hear this too. God still wants to use you. He's not done with you yet either. I believe that if God woke you up this morning, if you're drawing breath, God has a purpose for you. And that is true no matter what age you are. It may look different than it did maybe 10, 20, or even 30 years ago, but God still has a purpose. 
You can retire from your job, but you don't retire from your faith. And you don't retire from serving the kingdom. If you want to look at what God's retirement plan looks like, you don't have to look any further than Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Moses, excuse me, God used Moses till the very last day of his life. God led Moses up on a mountain. He showed him the promised land, and then Moses died there and did not return. Moses continued to serve God. God continued to use him right up to the very end. In our seasoned saints here today, we have so much, you have so much to offer us as a church. So much wisdom, so much experience, so much history and tradition that, that it would be wrong for us to not tap into that. And so we want to see you continue to work and, and grow and serve the Lord here and now in your own unique way in the season of life that God has, has you in right now. Like Moses, we can pass on our wisdom, our leadership, our experience to a younger generation. And so we have an opportunity to, to learn. We, the, our younger people, like, and, and myself included in that category, we have a lot to learn from people who have been there and done that, right? And we need to, so we need to work together to serve God together in this church and in this community because God's not done with any one of us. And so we can come up with a thousand excuses, can't we? Why, why we won't allow God to work through us or why we think God may be done with us. Maybe we're too busy. We don't have anything to offer. We often say to ourselves, well, they're not doing anything. Why should I? Don't let your excuses get in the way of what God wants to do in and through you. I believe God has great things in store for this church. And I say that with complete honesty and excitement. I believe there's a lot of good things that God is doing and wants to continue to do through First Church. And I'm so excited for what God has in store for us. But none of that will happen if we continue to make excuses. If we continue to say, I don't have time for that. Or we continue to say, God's, God's done with me. Or I don't have time for God. If we continue to make excuses like that, we won't be able to see what God wants to do here in this place. Some of us may think our, you know, our time at First Church, you know, our, our glory days may be in the past, right? You know, our, our, the, maybe our attendance numbers aren't what they used to be. Our Sunday school numbers aren't what they used to be. And I want to challenge us and think, not thinking backwards like that. God has done great and wonderful things in the past and praise him for that. And let's remember and celebrate those things. But let's also look forward to what God wants to continue to do in this church. I believe God has great things in store. And I think some of our, some of the best days for first church haven't happened yet. That we can continue to grow and continue to, to, but we need to allow God to work in and through us. We need to quit making excuses and allow God to continue to work. We need to stay true to the calling that he's placed on our lives. We need to be willing to, to serve God in the season of ministry here and now where he has us. And we need to be willing, all of us, myself included, to submit ourselves to God, to get out of our own way and allow him to work. So we see that the ending of this book of Acts teaches us that God's, God's not, done, not truly done working 
But, but I want to take it a step further and remind us that the reason Acts ends so abruptly is it forces us as the reader, as the hearer of these words, to take up the baton and carry on that work of ministry. God's work is still being done. The book of Acts was not the complete story of the church. It was only the first chapter. It was only the first steps of what God is doing in this world. And we have the privilege and the opportunity to continue to work and spread the good news of the gospel throughout this world. The gospel certainly hasn't changed since then. The good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. But we have the opportunity to carry that good news, that message, to the ends of the earth. Scripture really does have a way of pushing us out of our comfort zone. And Paul's story, um, it, it ends here on a high note. There's all boldness and no hindrance to his ministry, even though he's in jail. But it is very much open-ended, as I already said. What happens next? You know, where, where does Paul go from here? And those questions are answered for us, partly because that's not the point of the story. The story isn't about Paul himself. The story is about what the Holy Spirit was doing through Paul and others in the early church. See, Acts is the story of the gospel going out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus, the risen Lord, before he ascended to heaven, he gave them the promise that, that they, should, they should stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, and then he, they will be the, their witnesses, they will be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we've seen so far in the book of Acts is that message going from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and now it's beginning to reach the ends of the earth with Paul at the very center of the Roman Empire, preaching with all boldness and without hindrance. And so the question then is, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to continue to the story and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth? We must be willing to take up that baton and run with it. Whatever season of life we're in, whatever challenges we face, allow God to work in and through us to spread the gospel and proclaim the kingdom. And we're also, the book of Acts reminds us that we're not left to do this work alone. The traditional name of the book is the Act of the Apostles. And, and, and with that title in mind, we focus so much on what those individuals were doing, whether it was Paul or Peter or Philip or James. But I think I've heard somebody say once, and I don't remember who it was, but it wasn't me. Uh, should be the, the correct title of the book shouldn't be the Acts of the Apostles. It should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit, God's presence in the world, was doing in and through them. And in that way, what he's continuing to do in and through us as well. We're not left to do the work alone. God is here with us and he's equipping us and enabling us to spread the, mo- spread the message with all boldness and without hindrance. Jesus willingly gives us a spirit just as he gave it to them. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to serve God faithfully. He gives us gifts for the edification of the church. He develops the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that we may become more like Jesus in everything we do. And so we don't carry that baton on our own. It's not in our own power, our own strength that we accomplish this. It's what God does in and through us. Like someone once said, like someone once said God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. 
I want to take, with the time that we have left, I want, to, I want us to look at Paul's own words near the end of his life from 2 Timothy chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. If you have a Bible, again, if you'd like to follow along, we'll be taking a look at that passage. 2 Timothy is very likely the last of Paul's letters, um, and he wrote it to Timothy, his younger uh, partner in ministry, and gave him a lot of encouragement about what it means to, to serve the church and serve the Lord. And at the very end of the letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we hear these words from Paul kind of reflecting on his life in ministry. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. There's three things I want to notice here about what it means to stay true to our calling from Paul's own words here in this passage. One, he realized that his life was like a drink offering that was being poured out. If you were to look back in the Old Testament, the different sacrifices, uh, like in Numbers chapter 15, we see the drink offering was something that would accompany these other burnt offerings and sacrifices. Um, in those other sacrifices, in many of those times, whether it was a bull or a ram or whatnot, uh, a portion of that sacrifice was set aside for the priest to then consume. That's how the priests lived. They lived off the sacrifices of others because they didn't have land or property of their own to survive off of. But not with the drink offering. The drink offering, uh, which was a, a container of oftentimes wine, which was like rep, you know represented, representation of blood, uh, was poured out completely. Not a drop of it was left and was poured out at the altar as these other sacrifices were being made. And so when Paul's saying his life is like, is being poured out like a drink offering, it was, he, he's saying his life had been completely and fully devoted to the Lord. And there was not a drop of it left that he held back from God. And I love that image. I love that picture. God, Paul gave all of himself to the Lord in everything that he did. Are we giving everything to Christ? And unfortunately, we tend to put God in a box, don't we? We allow God to be Lord of certain areas of our life, but not others. There's a story I heard once um, called a legend myth. I'm not sure if this actually took place or not. Uh, But there's a story of a a warlord um, who had heard about this Jesus, who had heard about Christ and Christianity and as he, as he sent away, to, to, he, he called for, for priests, for monks to come and tell him about, about this new faith that he had not heard about before. And as he learned about Jesus, he decided to put his faith in Christ. And in those days, if, if the king or the governor or the ruler was a Christian, then everybody was a Christian. Everybody followed suit. And so the, guard, the, the kings or the warlord's personal guard were going to be baptized, 300 soldiers in all. And so they made the arrangements. They, the, the whole guard walked out into the water at the same time, and there was a priest for every soldier there, and they were going to be baptized. And as they're going through the ritual, the, the rites and everything, um, right before they were about to be immersed in the water, all three of them on cue drew their swords and held their sword arms above their heads. And as they were baptized, they, they, that sword arm remained out of the water. What they were saying was that they were willing to give their lives to Christ all except that one part so that they continue to be soldiers, so that they continue to be people of war. They held their arms out of the water and refused to give that aspect of their lives to Christ. 
So what's your sword arm? What are you holding back from Christ? What's that one thing you're unwilling to give over to him completely? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Sometimes it's good things that we're holding back, good things that we focus on instead of Christ. But we need to be focused on the giver rather than the gift. We see here Paul also says that he fought the fight, he finished the race, and he kept the faith. Throughout his writings, Paul often used physical activity and training as a metaphor for the spiritual life, such as in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. He says, this fit for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. You know, I remember playing sports when I was younger. I remember working hard in practice in the weight room during the off season. You put in time, you put in effort, you work hard so that when the season comes around, you can earn playing time and help your team win. And that's a good and and valuable thing to do. But in the same way that that I, as a young person, put time and effort into training for a sport, we need to be willing to put time and effort into training ourselves for our our commitment to the Lord and our faith. Because we're going to go through difficult times and we're going to have hardships that come our way. And if we're not prepared, if we're not ready, if we haven't learned what it means to put our trust fully in Christ, we're not going to be prepared for those moments. Paul, in doing so, was able to keep the faith. And I don't mean that, I don't think he means that, that his salvation was somehow dependent on him staying true to his calling. It's not like his, his salvation was dependent on how good he, he did throughout his life. His salvation had already been won and already been earned by Christ on the cross. That was not in question. He fought the fight, he, ran the, he finished the race, he kept the faith in terms of his commitment to, to responding to that grace he received and living it out through his life and through his ministry. We'll talk about that prize he, he, he was referring to <coughs> Excuse me, in just a moment. But first I want to ask you this question. Are you fighting the good fight? Are you running the race? And what are you doing in order to keep the faith alive and active in your own heart and mind? Being a follower of Jesus is not easy, and there's a lot of distractions and temptations out there. And we're constantly bombarded by different worldviews, intellectual and practical challenges to our faith and our calling. And so how are you preparing yourself and your family for these challenges? If you want to stay true to your calling, you need to commit yourself to Christ. You need to be in the Word. You need to know and trust the promises that God makes to us in Christ. You need to be a person of prayer, continuously dependent on the Holy Spirit for guidance and direction. And you need to surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage you and hold you accountable. And that prize that Paul was seeking after was that crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward all of us. The crown was often a reward, just like a gold medal in today's Olympics. A crown of a garland crown was often given to the victors of a race or athletic competition. So Paul here is saying, as we stay true to our calling, as we keep our eyes focused on Christ, we will be rewarded for that. Again, not our salvation, but we'll be rewarded by fully experiencing that righteousness 
and that, that, that relationship with God that he has called us to throughout our lives. And it's available to everyone because we didn't earn it. Remember, the righteousness that we rely on is not righteousness of our own. If that were the case, we would have been disqualified a long time ago. No, this crown of righteousness, it is righteousness that comes from knowing Christ and being in a relationship with him. We're redeemed by Christ and brought into the family of God on his merit, not our own. And so our future glory, then, our our future experience of knowing Christ and being in that relationship with him where all sin and death and shame and all that stuff has been destroyed, when we get to fully and completely experience Christ in eternity, that should motivate us to stay true to our calling now. I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating. We are too short-sighted. We focus too much on the here and now, on what is only temporary. And that's foolish because we, because we, if you, it's foolish if you think about it because why are we focusing our time and energy on things that won't last? We rearrange our entire lives around things that are here today and will be gone tomorrow. Instead, we need to maintain an internal perspective. We need to focus on Christ and, 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 and what he is calling us to. In Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you have a hunger and thirst after him and for, for eternal things, then God will meet us there and, and draw us to himself. And that's what communion does for us. Communion helps us refocus our sights on him, on the sacrifice that he made to pay for our sins, and also that future glory that awaits when we celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb in heaven. When we have true, lasting, eternal fellowship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, an eternal, true, lasting fellowship with, with God as our Lord and Savior and Creator. That's what communion points us to. And so in just a moment, we're going to share communion together. And I encourage you to set your sights on him. Set aside our, our temporary short-sightedness and focus on eternal things instead. And when we do that, we can stay true to our calling. Let's close in prayer at this time. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have uh, pointed us to you through it all. And I pray that you would enable us to stay true to our calling in everything we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, As we prepare our hearts for communion, I'd like to sing the first verse of number 279, Faith of Our Fathers. Please stand and join us. to come forward. Uh, They're going to be assisting us in communion this morning. I mentioned at the start of our service, we're going to do things a little differently here today. Uh, If you've been with us at Ash Wednesday, uh, we're going to do communion at the altar like we do there. Uh, 
in just a moment after I pray and everything. Um, I'm going to invite you all, if you're able and would, are willing, to come forward. I'm going to ask you guys all actually to come down. If you can, come down the center aisle, and there'll be a station on this side of the table and a station on that side of the table. doesn't matter which one you go to. Um, you can just come down the center aisle, split, uh, get your bread, uh, the cup, and then you can return down these side aisles and find your seat. And, and when you are... Uh, Ready, you can then just uh, partake in the elements on your own at the seat. I'm not going to be giving instruction like I sometimes do since we're doing things a little differently this morning. Um, If you are unable to come forward for communion and would still like to receive that this morning, um, Aaron and Michelle are going to be our wanderers. They're going to have trays and they can come to you in your seat. Um, If you do want them to come, um, they're going to be kind of on the lookout. Just try to you know, wave at them, point at them, something like that. Try to get their attention so they know that that, they, that you're wanting them to come um, to you. So I hope all those instructions are clear. We also have our, our I believe, gluten-free wafers up here for those that are interested in that as well. That is always an option here. Uh, let's take a moment and pray together as we prepare hearts for this time. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful for, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, for his body broken on the cross, his blood shed for us, Uh, for our sins to be forgiven. Lord, apart from this sacrifice, apart from what you've done for us, we would be without hope. And so now as we, as we partake in these elements, remind us and bring, bring to mind and, and heart those things we've done that have, uh, fallen short of your glory. Uh, we've sinned. We're all sinners in need of a savior, Lord. And communion is a, an opportunity for us to reflect on that. Not in a way to shame or to judge ourselves or others, but as a way to reflect on the goodness of your grace and mercy, which you've made available to us through Christ. And as we do so also, Lord, fill us with your spirit and help us to set our our sights on you in that time when we will all, as your people, gather and celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And whoever, So whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup, you're making a statement about what Christ has done for you. And, and, what, and, and, and what he is willing to do in all of our lives. So I invite all who are, uh, have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come and take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
I muted myself. Father, thank you for this opportunity to remember what you've done for us and the grace and love that you show us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, sing number 64, All Creatures of Our God and King.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.